Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we're talking all about Chapter 24 of The Mandalorian, otherwise known as The Return, the season finale. Wow. We made it. We made it. We made it. <laughs> it's been a... It, I think that we have to comment on the fact that it's been a spring. You know what I mean? We had <laughs> we had the we had the bad batch, we had celebration, we had the Mandalorian. It's been a lot of a lot of Star Wars, which has been amazing, but I can't believe this is basically the end of the Mandalorian for a long time. Kind of crazy. So I stayed up to watch this episode. You did. Until 3 a.m. And I was surprised because you weren't going to initially. No, this was not planned. I accidentally just stayed up really late and then all of a sudden <laughs> it was 2. And I know that they put the episode up at like 2.50. Sometimes they put it up early. So I was wondering like maybe they'll continue to put it up early. And I was up already. I was just not that tired. And so I decided just to stay up. And I hadn't done that this season yet. So it was great. No regrets, but I was definitely like at 3.30. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, it's all over. <laughs> yeah, I woke up and I had a text from you that was like, I'm staying up. I was like, oh boy, oh boy. Because the last time when, where we left it the night before was you were like, what time are you getting up? I was like, I'm getting up at this time. You're like, yeah, I'm not getting up that early. Tell me, you know, like just text me when you finish basically. And I woke up and you were eons ahead of me in in The Mandalorian. <laughs> yes, eons. So many eons. Yeah. We should say that this episode aired April 19th, 2023, and it was directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who directed the episode previously. And in a lot of ways, I think about these two episodes together mm-hmm. because I think they I think it would have played really well if they combined them, honestly. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think they definitely could have, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have another comment other than that, that they they could yeah. have combined them. They work really well together. Uh, so it makes sense for them to kind of be this duo for the finale. And, you know, last week's episode, The Spies, you know, being the penultimate episode, uh, it just flows. It flows really nicely, kind of this this last little chunk of the season. Totally. So what'd you think? Oh, I like this episode a lot. Uh, there, I think there are a lot of questions. I think there are definitely things I would have done differently or perhaps tied up differently in the, at the end mm. of this season. And uh, this episode has given me a lot to think about with this season as a whole, I think, and kind of season three's strengths and weaknesses uh, as an entire piece, you know, as a volume. But this episode in particular, I I really loved. I think you and I have been talking about this episode as oddly like super cozy. (laughs) And it just, it felt so solid to me as far as like the balance of the action and the emotion and kind of the humor and the stakes and, and, and all of that. It just felt like a solid episode. You know what I mean? And compared to kind of our previous season finales with The Mandalorian, especially season two with, you know, the shocking uh, return of Luke Skywalker to the silver screen. And, uh, you know, that was obviously a big moment. But this one just felt 
like focusing on our main characters of really Din and Grogu and then Bo-Katan and the rest of the Mandalorians and watching them do this final siege on Mandalore, you know, for lack of a better word, the siege on Mandalore. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I don't know, I, I loved seeing Din and Grogu together. You know, I think the beginning of the season really focused on them, the first kind of two episodes. And then, then the the middle section of the season really kind of shifted focus to Bo-Katan and the rest of the Mandalorians. We talked about this last week, how in some ways Din has kind of become a secondary character for part of the season uh, to for Bo's story, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and I don't think it is. But it, it does take away from Din's screen time, you know what I mean? Or his character development, I should say. So to go back this finale and really focus on the two of them, I thought was such a great move. And I absolutely loved the last like six minutes of this episode. It was so special. Yeah. It was so cozy. It was so happy. And I was so happy. Same. I, I really enjoyed it. When I first watched it at 3 a.m., I was like, whoa, this is a lot. I was on the edge of my seat. Mm-hmm. I was so nervous in the fights. The stakes were really high for me. And I really felt the weight of the action. And I was thinking about all the parallels. We'll talk about them to like The Last Jedi and the fighting style. And I was like, okay, so if we're really paralleling this, who's going to die? And I was like, well, it would be Gideon who would be like the Snoke figure, yeah. right? And I was like, that it should happen. That should happen. That should happen. And then when it did happen, I was like, okay, I love parallels because <laughs> that's what I wanted to happen, you know? And uh, anyway, I feel like the stakes are really high. But by the end of it, I just, when it, when it was over, I was like, wow, that was really, really good. And I know John Favreau had been saying that the, the finale is going to be pretty satisfying. I'm a little triggered by the word satisfying, really but fun. I actually do think this was really satisfying to me. Yeah, and I think it was because it was such a happy ending. Yeah, <laughs> and we're so traumatized a little bit from <laughs> tragic endings, especially in television and like cliff cliffhangers and yeah, the way that because the Mandalorian is going to go on forever as John Favreau told us I honestly like in that we were in that zoom I think where he, when he said that you know so in my head I was like okay so the I feel like no one's really gonna die because this is gonna go on for a long time because he wants to keep making this for a long time but I still like I said I still felt those stakes and I was like well I don't know it's anyone's guess like you never know it's just Star mm-hmm. Wars and there was a lot of cryptic tweets that were going around I'm still a little confused by those but <laughs> The point is, I just feel like I wasn't expecting a finale that didn't have a cliffhanger. Yeah. And instead, we got just like a cozy, cute, non-Star Wars is tragedy. Like, Star Wars is comedy. Like, this is so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I I feel like the title, The Return, the moment I saw that title, I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Because I immediately thought of Return of the Jedi, which also has a famously, amazingly happy ending mm-hmm. you know and I feel like throughout this entire episode I-, I loved this theme of like rebirth renewal returning restarting almost e- even like a rebaptism that you see at the end with Ragnar right mm-hmm. and like the more I think about the themes and the concepts and everything that actually happened in this finale I'm just like I'm living I feel like it's so it's so nice to be happy (laughs) and to not be like, 
I, it's not that I'm not speculating for the future because I can't wait for the next chapter of the Mandalorian, but I feel just so like all the things that happened, there's a lot for us to talk about, but there's also a lot of ends were tied. I keep seeing people being like, things were so left on the floor. And I think that's like some stuff was obviously, but it's, this show's not over. Um, Something that I feel like I haven't talked about in a long time is how watching The Mandalorian in a lot of ways reminds me of watching an animated Star Wars show. And sometimes I just feel like people aren't really used to the fact that like in the days of old with the Clone Wars, (laughs) things were introduced and then like never talked about again for like three seasons, (laughs) right? And I think I, I the whole like Dr. Pershing stuff is kind of what I'm referring to. I felt like that did have a payoff given Elio ended up being the spy, but that wasn't wrapped up in this finale, but like it doesn't need to be for me because I know in the next season that's probably going to be talked about more because we're going to get more to do with the New Republic now that Din is working with the New Republic, right? So all that to say, I don't need everything to be tied up in this specific finale knowing that the show is going to go on for a long time and culminate in a movie I I don't know we're in this position in that we know that this isn't the end which again is why I find the ending the cozy ending of Din and Grogu in their house (laughs) like oh my god we got that I can't believe it um to be so surprising to me because I just think that they could have gone a completely different direction yeah I think that No, even though we know that more is coming from The Mandalorian, this really did feel in a lot of ways like a series finale. Um, Yeah. To have this kind of satisfying end like this, it it did feel like a series finale and made me feel like maybe we won't see Din and Grogu for a long time, especially as we're moving into the era of Ahsoka and, you know, whatever's coming next. And maybe that is The Mandalorian, but it was this very cute little ending of them in a house with a pond with like landscaping. So cute. (laughs) Um, I just felt so at peace with where they are that even the kind of critiques I have of the episode or the season or storylines that I'm still curious about, wonder if they'll pick up again. I just am really happy with where Din and Grogu are and that they are officially father and son and yes. they're here in this little house. Like I can't I can't overstate that enough like how happy I am for them to just have this little home. I never thought it was going to happen. When it was yeah. brought up I was like that's just yeah. never going to happen because it didn't happen in the Bad Batch. It hasn't happened ever. It's <laughs> yeah. never happened in Star Wars of getting... Bad Batch the, having a more tragic ending than The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. These I mean, it's is just funny. It's funny. I don't know. I just think <laughs> it's funny, but it's, it's really sad. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. I, I mean, I've wanted... We've never gotten this picture before of like a happy family home in Star Wars at all. I have to say one thing that you were talking about, about how like it could be that we don't see the Mandalorian Grogu for a long time, like even with Ahsoka, even just for a while, Mm -hmm. right? And I think to me, that might be a smart decision because I think the Mandalorian and specifically Grogu might be overexposed. So I think wrapping it here 
and saving the next chapter for a long time, it gives these three seasons of the show time to breathe and time for an audi- a new audience to discover them and then also wait for more. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Star Wars is very aware of overexposure. I think most people in the industry are very aware of overexposure. And I think that this sort of is a tiny bit of a commentary on that. And I'm okay with the pause, even though I'm going to miss them so much. Yeah. Me- Not that we have any sort of confirmation that there's going to be a pause, but it did feel like that. Yeah. No, I'm very happy with where we leave them now. If this was a series finale, yes, again, there are things that I might have wanted to see, but again, ultimately they're in a cute little house and I'm cute and happy. Like I'm, I'm good <laughs> with, with that. I would totally accept this as a series finale if I needed to, which I hope I don't need to obviously, but no way, uh, no way. Yeah. No, way. <laughs> we have a movie coming. I know we have so. a movie coming. Everything is fine. All right, but let's dive into the episode itself. I'm sure we'll be talking more about the things uh, that we liked about this episode as we move forward. But, uh, you know, let's let's get it out of the way here. The spies, the lack of spies. (laughs) This, I think the entire internet was like WTF. (laughs) That's what I was reacting to at 3 a.m. Like, oh, Oh. (laughs) this isn't going to be a thing. (laughs) And I, I kind of, I love... I don't know. Maybe it's been, I've been around Star Wars fandom a little, like too much now, where I just think this is funny. It's, okay. it's, it is hilarious. The thing is, so after we recorded our episode last week, um, Charlotte and I have both been like watching a ton of TikToks that have convinced me, did convince me 87 different ways about who was and wasn't the spy. And there were a ton of TikToks about Axe Wol- Wolves being the spy. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, it, it's it's definitely him by the time we rolled into this episode. And uh, yeah, he's not the spy. Uh, I definitely think they, it, I, I don't know, the way the episode was going in the beginning with him, you know, going to the ship, to the fleet, getting help, uh, telling everyone to leave the ship. Um, I was like, oh my God, it, like it's about to drop that he is the spy this whole time. And it never did. And I, for one... I'm really happy because now we're both really big Axe fans. <laughs> but this is such a surprise. <laughs> but he's not. I the didn't spy. care at all about Axe before, but now I'm like, he's a hero. <laughs> he <laughs> he went down with the ship and like he survived. He, I don't know. I was I was like, man, this is like really attractive i don't know i don't know what's happening <laughs> i loved as he's flying to the ship and he's just like bo katan needs our yeah. help and so i was like go get it axe <laughs> it was it was great it was great it was great uh i love that whole sequence very haldo uh obviously also in in people who are not the spy the armorer is not the spy <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. I was convinced the armor was the spy. I think I said it on the last episode. Oh, I was yeah, like, we both did. Yeah, it's a, she's a spy. Um, there's just no spy, and the armor was so cool in this episode. It made me be like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, a little bit. When her voice kind of uh, appeared out of nowhere, of Bo Katan, your fleet has arrived. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh man, here she comes. <laughs> <laughs> I. Yeah. And and last week in 
uh, on Sky Talkers, we had talked about, I think I had said, it's stupid if there's not another spy. <laughs> and I still kind of maintain this, honestly. You know, since since we recorded and now since the episode has come out, people were talking about other meanings for the title of uh, last week's chapter, The Spies. Uh, I know one thing that came up that we didn't even think about at the time was the 12 spies of, of Canaan. Um, Canaan, um, which is a biblical reference uh, where Moses sends 12 spies from all of the different Israeli tribes to scout for the promised land. Um, if you're familiar with the biblical story of the Exodus. And so it looks like the Mandalorians were the spies after all returning to their promised land, AKA the planet Mandalore, which I think is a like, I see that connection now really clearly and it makes a lot of sense, but I don't know. I think when thinking about these episode titles week to week, I think they should be, I don't know. I, I just don't think it worked very well, honestly. Um, I think because we had focused on Alaya being a spy in the beginning of last week's episode, um, that we were kind of expecting there to be another spy in the Mandalorian ranks rather than the Mandalorians themselves all being spies returning to their promised land of Mandalore. It was like Alaya was a red herring, but I don't think it was a good red herring because we kind of already, already assumed that she was still working uh, for Gideon and what will become the first order. So, you know, not the cleanest thing that the Mandalorian has ever done, but it is what it is. And yeah. I think specifically what we said is it doesn't work if this title doesn't have a double meaning. And I think we just didn't talk about this other double meaning about the Mandalorians being the spies who come back to their promised land, right? Yeah, but I'm, I, just, I'm throwing us a bone I'm here. Be, I'm making myself feel our, a little bit better about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, it's, it's funny. I don't know. I, I think even last week I said, this is going to be really funny if there's no spy and we're going to look back on this and just had wasted so much time. <laughs> and we did. So let's move on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, we we got to see Din get himself out of the where he was captured by Gideon's guards and with a little assist from Grogu, which this was a great scene. It was great to see Din in action and not just be the damsel in distress. I liked that he was able to escape. A lot of people were talking about the Mind Flayer last week, you included, and... I'm glad we didn't see that. <laughs> I just think we're so scarred. This we is are. this goes back to the ending of this, you know, this finale being so happy and us being like, wait, what? Because we're so <laughs> we're so scarred. We're so used to torture scenes in Star Wars these days. There's been so many torture scenes, including in this season. And it's sort of what we it felt like we were going towards because that's usually how it is, but instead Din gets himself out of the situation. It's great. And the conversation that Din and Grogu have about being brave is just so perfect. And I love when Grogu helps him get out and he just immediately showers him with Bacta. <laughs> and Din is just writhing on the ground like, wait, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's like Grogu's like waterboarding him. And he's like, I'm fine. You know, it's so great. And I, I love that. I love this sort of dexterity that Grogu had in the IG-12 suit of... I don't know. I love the yes and the no. And I think that they used it perfectly. I think that it would have gotten old if this was something that carried into further seasons of Grogu not actually walking on his own, but instead just having the suit. But for these two episodes, I was pretty satisfied with everything they did 
with the IG-12 suit. And I think that they used it really well for humor and for dramatic purposes because we got, you know, the no, 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 um, you know, him pushing that button in a good situation that made sense and him and like later Grogu had like angry eyes. And as he did that, I thought that was perfect. Mm-hmm. So while we end this episode with that suit being gone and Grogu walking on his own and things like that, I think that it was fun to have that in this basically this two part finale, you know? Yeah, totally. Me too. And I think they definitely could have run the risk of overusing the no, no, yes, yes situation. But I thought it was a really good balance, honestly. And to your point about it obviously being used for comedy, but then actually getting to see, uh, you know, like in last week uh, where Grogu splits up the fight and he says, no, no, no. That's clearly a very serious moment. And seeing Grogu being able to have agency in a moment like that to be like, don't fight was great and a good use of the button, (laughs) the magic button. So yeah. And then obviously in this episode as well. But yeah, it was great to see him in it. I was surprised that we destroyed it, but kind of part of the course, I think, for the Mandalorian of big, so big things, you know, rip the razor crest. I still miss you. But if anything happens to the Naboo Starfighter, oh, it's going to be so sad. So I hope we never have to see that. And I will sacrifice the razor crest and the IG-12 suit to keep the Starfighter. I just got really nervous that they're going to get rid of that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I didn't consider that. I mean, it's basically Din's minivan that he has parked outside, (laughs) you know, at celebration, they had like a minivan on display with the Mandalorian logo on it. And this is just perfect. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. (laughs) No hate to minivans. They're comfortable, but I, Spacious, the leg room. (laughs) So so spacious. (laughs) Okay, so can we talk about how Gideon is in this episode and we see his clones and all this stuff? We have a lot to talk about with that, but, you know, is this actually Gideon? I feel like the show is making us intentionally try to doubt whether or not that's Gideon or not based off the fact that we start his introduction by seeing all of his clones And now he doesn't have the mustache, which is silly. It's silly to think that someone is going to have a mustache (laughs) the entire time. But there is a difference. And I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. I think with this parallel, if I draw the parallel between like Snoke and Gideon in this scene, like I did earlier, of uh, even like with the Praetorian Guards and the fighting, the duels, the action around them, the crashed ship and everything... Snoke did die there, but we saw a body so clearly <laughs> in The Last Jedi. <laughs> Very But we didn't clearly. see a body here. But instead we see uh, – we, we start the scene with clones and then we see Gideon cover himself in this like intense uh, Beskar alloy suit that is so strong. Couldn't ha- that suit potentially have withstood – this fire. I don't mean to jump ahead, but I I was doubting it a little bit. And I think it's okay to doubt it because like you always say, why not have more Gideon? Because he's mm-hmm. such a cool villain. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought the framing was quite interesting given the fact that we saw his clones. So maybe we should talk about the clones a little bit. The force sensitive clones. Force sensitive clones. We, we finally got here, guys. I... 
<laughs> truly did not expect us. I think even last week I was talking about, you know, I wonder when they'll finally, you know, really put these pieces together. And they did it this week. It came from Gideon. I could not be happier. Four sensitive clones finally got this verbalized. I'm over the moon. And it really feels like we're barreling towards Palpatine and the Palpatine clones, the Snokes in a we jar, are. all of it. Mm-hmm. We totally are. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy. And just the fact that now we have this verbalized, that they are, that some contingent of Empire remnants were always or have been interested in harnessing the Force somehow. I don't even know if that's how the Force works or if he was even going to be successful with this, but that this would, this was always something that we were interested in in the Bad Batch. This is clearly what he wanted Grogu for. So we finally got it. We finally made it. We have confirmation. This is it. <laughs> so <laughs> we've arrived. Finally. Yeah. And it, it felt good. You know, yeah. I think that they, it was really creepy with the eyes opening oh, yeah. in the Bacta of the clones. I thought they played that horror element pretty well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I kept waiting to see if that was going to happen. And part of me almost wondered if Grogu had seen these before because we know that he's been tested on before by Dr. Pershing in the past. So I don't know. I was definitely on the edge of my seat in this scene. I didn't realize that that's what Din was doing, was destroying the the clone chambers. So I was really surprised when they started all exploding but the moment of horror, of course, Din uh, Grogu looked so scared and cute and immediately starts running back to Din. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, so I'm with you. I think the staging of that part was really confusing to me that that's what he was immediately doing. It was like decommissioning them. I That was not clear to me. I thought he was just trying to open the next door. So much so that I sort of thought that maybe Grogu's emotions caused things to tip over because he was scared. That's interesting. But Din was pushing buttons. So I don't really know what to think about that, you know? So, (laughs) All right. Let's leave the clones and go back to R5, our favorite scaredy cat droid, Din's little buddy. He he calls him buddy so many times in this episode. (laughs) And it's super cute. It's cozy. (laughs) R5 is like, this is anything but cozy. This is my nightmare. (laughs) This is my hell. I'm descending into hell quite literally. (laughs) I I love my anxious king. I think he's so perfect. (laughs) And the best part about this was I knew R5 was going to be able to pull it off because... (laughs) It's Star Wars, and I knew he was going to do it, but I was nervous the entire time. And I love that his foes are just mouse droids. There's no one else. It's just these mouse droids that are just straight up bullying him. And I love the way that they come back and, like, circle him and then push push him. Like, <laughs> it's bullying. He's bullying. Yeah. I love mouse droids. They're so good. They're so fun. <laughs> Also, like, are they whistling? Are they just chilling? Like, what is that noise? <laughs> it's, you ever considered? It's too happy for the Empire. I, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I loved this scene. I loved the one mouse droid coming back with all of his friends and uh, R five being like, I don't know what to do, and he just <laughs> zooms out. I was, was worried so at the end when you know the ship comes down because I had momentarily forgotten that R five had zoomed out. 
and I was worried for him. And and then I remembered that he had very quickly gotten himself out before anything else should happen. <laughs> and yeah. I'm happy to to see him another day. I feel like this isn't the end for him either. I think no. that we're going to see him some more yeah. with because he obviously had that connection to Captain Tiva mm-hmm. before too. So I think uh, we're going to keep getting anxious, anxious boy. <laughs> I'm so excited. But I think that R5 provided a really good sense of tension for whether or not he was going to be able to get those doors open. That whole shield door fight was so reminiscent of the Phantom Menace and the Darth Maul fight. And I thought this was really cool because it showed sort of Din getting stronger. I think there was like a leveling up sense there. But I I saw it positively because I think throughout it, Din makes a lot of mistakes too, where he even tries to grab one of the troopers' guns and fails and that trooper like falls. And he's like, oh, darn. (laughs) (laughs) I just, something I really love about Din Djarin's character is that he's, He's both such a badass and so cool, but also so clumsy and silly and dumb. So it's <laughs> he I love when he makes mistakes, I guess, is the point. And I thought that in this sequence, which could have been a very, very much a scene in which Din excels at throughout, he has some issues that go through. And I like at the end of it as well, when he's like, Grogu, come on. And Grogu <laughs> just like sort of nervously walks on through. <laughs> Yeah, I really liked the sequence too. It I saw some people critique it as video gamey of Din kind of collecting the weapons as he went, which I agree it was, but I had a good time with it. I thought it was fun. The tension was there. Uh, one of the things I personally love about Din's character is that very rarely does he actually raise his voice. His intonation is pretty consistent no matter the situation. And even though he was yelling, quote unquote, at R5 about opening the next shield door, it was still pretty level, all things considered, of just R5, the shield door. R5, open the next shield door. <laughs> and he never really <laughs> got super angry at R. It was, it was funny. <laughs> He's like becoming such a, a, a hardened, lessened parent, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, R5 is being bullied by, you know, a squadron of mouse droids. Uh, <laughs> He's like, I have to get out of here. I must get out of here. All right. I I feel like we are moving through this episode at a bit of a clip, but the episode itself moved at a bit of a clip. So let's... It was was like 38 minutes. It it wasn't the the longest episode ever. It was... It moved really fast. It did. It did. But let's shift our focus back to the rest of the Mandalorians. I think, you know, we saw them in some fantastic action sequences. And you guys know, I wouldn't always say that action sequences are my favorite part of Star Wars. I will say they're not usually my favorite part of Star Wars. But seeing the jetpack fighting uh, with all the Mandalorians was so cool. And Bo with the Darksaber and the armor with the hammer It was intense. I was thinking the whole time about how they filmed it. I was also thinking about how, as a Mandalorian, how you train to have combat in the air and how many bruises you must get from that. And (laughs) it just seems so hard. (laughs) And uh, the payoff was absolutely there. I thought it was super cool. I I liked the sequence. It felt really new for Star Wars. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we've seen the Mandalorians fly around, use their jetpacks, but to have 
so many people engaging in a battle like this, I think is the first time we've seen that, at least in live action. Uh, I don't even think we've seen this many Mandalorians in air, in battle, in, you know, animation. But I could be wrong about that. But I I, I enjoyed the fighting. And I... <laughs> We should have mentioned this earlier, but I had to laugh. This whole season, we've been talking about how Bo has kind of become like a secondary parent to Grogu. I'm not sure she noticed Grogu was missing <laughs> when Grogu went off to help. <laughs> but she did. Dang. Okay, I'll, I'll use... Yeah, so I just disagree with that because I do think she is still a secondary parent for Grogu given the end sequence and the way that immediately Bo comes to their aid and then tells Din to go save Grogu, right? Um, and so she seems to be so at some point aware of what ha was happening there. And at the end of the season, who is, at the end of that action sequence, who is left and who is left together and who is Grogu protecting both of them, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I'm kind of making a joke, but... Yeah, I Din tells her later. He goes, "I've got the kid." She goes, "Okay, cool." <laughs> and she's like, "Good, great." <laughs> I totally knew that. <laughs> uh, the the reason I thought of this is because shortly after that, the Mandalorians end up in these kind of shallow surface level caves that have all of this growth and plant life and you know, we love to see it. They were talking, you know, the Mandalorians that we found still on Mandalore talked about how these were the indigenous plants to Mandalore. I think he says like thousands of years or, or way before the thousands of years of civil war, I think is what he said. And that no one thought that they could survive on the surface anymore. And Bo even comments that she'd only ever seen these plants grown basically in greenhouses, in domed gardens, uh, kind of artificially is what it sounded like. And that she was so impressed that they were able to grow again. And uh, the other Mandalorians, you know, talk about how they cultivated and like farmed these plants that they put in the effort. It wasn't just happenstance also, you know, they were a part of the process as well. And this is just, you know, I, I think this metaphor is definitely kind of hitting us over the head, but I will eat it up because I think Same. it's fantastic, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, they say life persists. Uh, all the plants needed is room to grow. And, you know, again, a metaphor is a metaphor is a metaphor. And I love it. And I think if we think back to the beginning of the season with how everyone assumed that Mandalore was poisoned, was cursed, you know, pick your adjective here, your negative adjective. And to find out that not only could you live there, but that it sustained life, uh, both good and bad life. You know, we still have those creatures that are underneath the surface that we encountered at the beginning of the season, uh, but that there is also this rebirth, this growth, this cultivation that's happening, not in domed gardens, not artificially, but from the planet itself. And the, the spies have returned to their promised land and it is going to be okay on Mandalore. There is hope for the future of Mandalore. Yeah, I think that this color of the season, this is something our friend Michelle says all the time, the color of the season was green. It was on all the marketing. It was everywhere, right? On the posters, green was everywhere. And here we are where 
the rebirth of the planet is taking place. It, it is being shown. And honestly, it made me tear up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the lighting here was also really beautiful. They It was cathedral lighting, right? Where it, it was dappled through the trees and through yeah. the caves and everything. It really reminded me of how we used to see Mandalore in the animation, which was like these long hauled uh, rooms with cathedral lighting with like almost with stained glass windows, very church-like. And I felt like that when we were, when they were walking through these farmlands, I suppose is what they called them. You see this light later when they're relighting the forge, which is such a beautiful scene. And again, made me tear up a little bit. And I feel like when you have these, this, this two like mirror of um, this cathedral lighting, this dappled lighting, um, in these two sequences, it just, I really do think, and I wonder if it was meant to resemble the Mandalore of old while also representing, this is, we're in a new age, a new time. And it was sort of holy, I guess. I just feel like the themes of rebirth and renewal and returning, like, <laughs> couldn't be more overt. And yeah, like you said, yes, I don't think that the show is ever subtle <laughs> in a lot of these things, but I don't care. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I would say that the the spies metaphor ultimately was a little more subtle than I think we expected or yeah. were initially yeah. thinking. And the show usually isn't subtle. I, its writing is pretty straightforward. It's the dialogue is often pretty straightforward, especially with a character like Din who you know, just kind of says it as it is in the moment. And sometimes these metaphors are very super straightforward. And I think that's that was this episode as a whole, if I can kind of go back to what I was saying at the very beginning about liking this episode, is that it was so solid. But I think perhaps a better word for that would be straightforward in a lot of ways of Mm -hmm. the return to Mandalore, the rebirth of Mandalore, officially father and son, destroying the villain, you know, it's just <laughs> a new home being made. It's all the promise of tomorrow of another adventure. Grief even says at the end, you know, you have this house to settle down with your new family, dot, 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 in between adventures. It's almost a oh. wink to the camera of what's coming next. And yeah, it's so straightforward in kind of a charming way. And I really loved it and I totally agree with all your points about Mandalore itself and and the lighting, the the reverence of it, of returning, especially for a character like Bo-Katan who uh, has spent, you know, a lot of time, I mean, remember where we saw her at the very beginning of the season of depressed, slouching Stewing in her throne room her Yeah. <laughs> uh, not to mention that uh, that castle destroyed too. I totally mm-hmm. forgot that it was destroyed too. Let's add it to our list of other things that were destroyed. And her little mm-hmm. butler droid too. Oh, that one's sad. sad. Um, <laughs> but for her to come so far, everything that she's gone through in her life that we're aware of, you know, with Satine, with Death Watch, uh, everything that happened in Rebels, for her to get to this point to actually return to Mandalore, to relight the forge, and to not need the Darksaber to do it. We'll talk about the Darksaber, but to not need the Darksaber to do it, to obviously still be in that leadership position is, I think, super meaningful. And I'm, I'm really happy for her. Yeah. I think it's worth noting that the return is often the last step of the hero, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which John loves. He loves it. And I think in a lot of ways, Bo-Katan really went on like a step-by-step hero's journey. And the ending of like relighting the forge was sort of like bringing forth this elixir to this new world, right? And if the last, one of the last like cycles of this hero's journey is the return, like of course the title is going to be the return because we (laughs) witnessed how far she went even from her home being destroyed. It's just like Luke Skywalker's home being destroyed. We talked about this on the podcast and so many things got destroyed, but in the end we have rebirth Mm -hmm. yeah, and renewal. Yeah. And so much so, I think it's worth it right now to talk a little bit about the forge being relit. Uh, I think so many times when we've seen the armor do her work in her own forge on two different planets now in the in the trenches of Navarro and then on whatever planet they were on as their outpost it's been dark we've talked about it as a sense a source of trauma that happens when you look into the forge and things like that and that could definitely mm-hmm. still happen on this planet on Mandalore again in this new forge but the way that it was presented at the end of this episode was so beautiful because the relighting of it obviously the it started out dark and then it burns and then it turns blue and everyone around who is witnessing this they're not standing in darkness they're standing in bright light in the dappled like light i was talking about and i just think that's such a big difference from how we saw different forges in the past and it's so different from how it was perceived before and i don't think that now i would consider this to be a location of trauma but instead of unification. And I'm excited to see what it looks like in the future and whether or not I'm wrong about this. But I think at this point, we're supposed to view it as differently, especially because the Mandalorians, I think when Paz was like, no, we deserve to be able to like walk in the sunlight, right? Uh, Not be forced underground into hiding. And I think that now they have this huge forge again, this, uh, this huge piece of Mandalorian history is now rebuilt, but it's not it's not rebuilt in secret. It's rebuilt for everyone to enjoy, to witness, to cheer on, to clap in that like funny way that they do clap. <laughs> and I don't know, it's just so perfect. It was such a difference of what we got from before with the forge and uh, so satisfying. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, some of the other Mandalorians uh had talked about how the forge, the great forge, uh, you could hear the the ringing of the hammers, the clanging of the hammers throughout the city or something like that. And so far, the armorer is the only armorer that we've met. And while, yes, I am still very interested in her backstory, uh, what yeah, this, yeah, what, what I was thinking of was the promise of new armorers now that there is, they've returned to the great forge and it's relit and there is opportunity to pass on what you have learned, uh, what the armor knows to new armors, uh, especially since I guess there's still Beskar on Mandalore. So everyone can get a full Beskar suit. Finally. We Yay. gotta get I Din looks so good and everyone else also like I like the colors. I think it helped me differentiate them from the stormtrooper vibe and things like that. But uh, 
yeah, I think that they all deserve an upgrade, mm-hmm. you know, especially Axe, have to say. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Bo. And you're like, no, Axe. <laughs> well, Bo too, but she has that one shoulder thing, but she definitely. But I think that Axe, to me, was such a hero in this episode. I was like, <laughs> you need some, like, you need like a medal. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think we've kind of skipped ahead to the very end, but I did want to kind of take us back to the fight with Gideon between uh, Din and Grogu and Bo and kind of all of them fighting together. Uh, great moment. We kind of touched on the fire moment a little bit, but what I really liked about all of this, all of this kind of part of the episode was, of course, seeing Din versus Gideon. But the moment when Grogu steps in and then is kind of cornered by the Praetorian guards, which I I kind of have to laugh at the fact that last week Gideon was like, I need three. Praetorian guard like so specific you know why three (laughs) and we just had the three emerge like just as you ordered one two three Praetorian guard (laughs) I don't know why it just kind of makes me laugh but you know the I am a sucker for the the angst of Din being so concerned about Grogu being taken his you know no and struggling to get up and Gideon just you know getting him beating him back down again the angst there was great but when Grogu is in that room with the Praetorian guards and he's you know kind of leaping around the first time I watched it I was thinking oh how scared he must be the second time I watched it I had subtitles on and the subtitles say laughs as in I know, I noticed that too. Rogu is laughing. <laughs> he just enjoyed himself. Maybe he's like, haha. Yeah, gotcha suckers. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Until he gets smushed on the bottom and then he's not laughing. But I just thought that was a funny note. And I thought they worked so well together. We've discussed this all season about Grogu getting these moments about how he's had so much development, so much more agency and independence in this season. And to come to this part of, you know, the final, the season finale of Grogu and Din working together to best an opponent with Grogu's skills with the Force and with Din, uh, physical skills, (laughs) combat skills. It was just great to see. And throughout this sequence, especially after we took, they took out, we, my part in it, they took out the Praetorian guards and they're, you know, fighting Gideon, the three of them. For a second, I was almost wondering if Grogu would be the one to take Gideon out. But then I realized that I didn't actually want that. I I didn't want Grogu to be basically killing someone at, you know, his young age as a child. But I, I almost wondered if we would go in that direction. And I'm so glad they didn't. Because his part in that battle was, you know, pushing away the weapons or kind of tripping Gideon up. It wasn't actually any kind of final blow situation. Yeah. But the the moment with the fire was just absolutely beautiful. Grogu there, the music, keeping the fire back. It just... It was. A, I was crying. It was, I was. It was such it was a great, great moment. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it so much. And what, like, what power? And uh, we also see that he's grown up a little bit too because he didn't immediately pass out. I know. I was so proud of him. <laughs> I'm like, too. you don't need a little nap. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I but need you a prob- little. You nap. deserve a little nap. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Me at three thirty. We were so tired. You definitely <laughs> needed a little nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so I guess now is the time to talk about the the destruction of the dark saber and I'm actually I'm super surprised actually that Gideon destroyed the dark saber I think when thinking about his character and maybe this uh adds on to your was that really Gideon theory you know that little side theory could yeah. I don't know yeah but I was really surprised that they destroyed it but I'm also fine with it being gone. Gideon says that the Mandalorians are weak once they lose their trinkets, which what a great line, I think, personally. <laughs> and I think this is true. And it kind of shows the whole point of needing to lose the Darksaber. We're so used to the Mandalorians. You know, only Mandalorians can carry Beskar. The Darksaber belongs to a Mandalorian. They have all these symbols and materials that are associated with them. And the Darksaber had kind of become this thing of it could unite people. It couldn't unite them, the loopholes of who had it and why. We've talked about it even as as uh, early as last week of the loophole was a loophole and it was uh, like, okay, I guess. <laughs> and Din says, you know, it doesn't actually matter. And it doesn't actually matter. What matters is honor, loyalty, and character. And Bo says Mandalorians are stronger together. And the last few episodes have really shown that. And again, I think it's very straightforward here of the the weapon, the physical symbol of the Darksaber is only ever a symbol. What matters is what Bo said, that the Mandalorians are stronger together and they're able to overcome in this episode. And Bo is still their leader at the end of it. She relights the forge. It's clear she's the leader still, the queen, I guess, of Mandalore, uh, even without it. Yeah, I was talking to my mom about this, actually, and I was like, what do you think about the Darksaber being destroyed? And she was like, no, it had to be destroyed. It's so good that it was because yeah. it was just complicated for the way that you – if this episode is all about renewal, then we need to go forth without these objects and, like Gideon says, the trinkets, dividing them. Mandalorians are stronger together. I think that's a huge theme here in this season. and. I think I'm surprised by both you and I agreeing on this point about how I, we both, it made sense for it to be destroyed. Uh, it's so Last Jedi. And I think <laughs> I think it's also interesting because I, the Darksaber is too cool to exist, by the way. It's like the coolest thing ever. And I really, I do hope that it is rebuilt because I think that it, I think Grogu needs to have the Darksaber. And I wonder if they rebuild it and it's like a smaller blade for him or something. Aww. But yeah, I, because Grogu needs like a, you know, Yoda's lightsabers are smaller. Yeah. Um, Grogu needs a lightsaber that's smaller for him. So I wonder if they'll take whatever crystal or whatever, what have you, with the dark saber and make it a new saber of some sort, creating something new, restarting what that story means to this rebirthed uh, Mandalore. It's it. It's one of those things where you think about like, oh, my, so many, so many, so many fights ensued over this, this one object. And it's like, well, now it's destroyed. So yeah, what now, you know? Yeah, it does feel like, you know, it's a rebirth. And uh, yeah, I think it makes sense for the Darksaber to be destroyed. But I'm with you. While you were talking, I was thinking about how they easily could have it where the pieces of the Darksaber fell into the the living waters and eventually 
it's found again, you know, it could very much be the heart at the bottom of the ocean kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about this kind of final moments on Mandalore where Din officially adopts Grogu. We see Ragnar finally completing the creed. All the other Mandalorians are there. His uh, oath was famously interrupted by that giant alligator turtle thing. But we get to see him actually complete it now. And Din brings Grogu up to become an apprentice. And the armorer says he's too young. He can't speak. He's too young to take the creed, which is good. I still continue to have mixed feelings about all of this <laughs> with the creed. <laughs> but the I think it's okay. It's okay to have that still on the table. Exactly. The takeaway here is Din adopting Grogu for me. And we've discussed this a lot throughout the three seasons about how everyone else refers to Din as Grogu's father. It's his kid, your kid, go save your kid. But Din never refers to himself that way. He's always talked to about himself as a guardian or a ward. I think that's even the word that the armorer uses uh, when they become a clan of two uh, back in season one or whatever of Din being Grogu's ward. And so to finally have Din say, this is my son and this we're going to work officially connected for forever in a way that's different than us being a clan of two. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was great. Then doing it in front of like the whole of Mandalore was fantastic. I was crying and I, I loved it. I loved it so much. And again, just adds to that very satisfying. If this was a series finale, I would be so happy. This is like yeah. a good place to leave it. And the moment of Grogu putting his hands in the water, I think, and he senses the mythosaur or the mythosaur senses him and opens his eyes. What a amazing little tease, you know? That's the type of cliffhanger I want. You know what right. I mean? I love this. He Grogu walks both mm -hmm. worlds. I've been saying it. I'm going to say it forever. <laughs> and I think that that was fantastic. Yeah. Bo knows that the mythosaur is in the living waters, but she didn't try to tame it. But who could tame it? I don't know. Grogu. We'll get it eventually. Grogu. And it's going to be a good story. It's going to be Grogu. You know, it's it's so good. It was, again, such there's such promise for these happy adventures that could come in the future. Of course, they'll be wrought with angst and, you know, what have you. The Star Wars is tragedy. But in, sure. this, yeah. <laughs> in this moment, it's like... I don't know. To me, I was like, is the mythosaur smiling? He looks kind of happy under the water there. <laughs> it's cozy, Caitlin. It's, co it's so cozy. cozy. <laughs> uh, I will say, all right, and this is, I guess, kind of more about the season as a whole, but I absolutely in this moment imagined that there is a footnote to the creed about how you can remove your helmet with your family. And now uh -huh. that Din and Grogu are officially family, that Din can remove his helmet with Grogu. I was like, oh, here it comes. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And and then it didn't come. And, you know, uh, fine. I I am... Getting a whole season without seeing Pedro's face is it's uh, a bummer. It's rough. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard. I, I am disappointed, honestly. I think... Yeah, me too. I think we thought this season would end with the removal of helmets of coming to a new understanding about that. And we didn't. <laughs> and I am disappointed about that. It is something maybe I would have changed about this season. I did wonder if 
you know, Pedro filming The Last of Us kind of had to change things for this season of The Mandalorian. If this would have been something they tackled, if Pedro had been more available, you know, I I don't know, right? That's kind of the only thing I can think of, or maybe they just don't want to talk up. They don't want to do that storyline yet. And it, you know, Pedro wasn't going to be there anyway. So bada bing, bada boom. But I continue to hope that we get to the point where Din doesn't have to wear his helmet all the time. And especially with Grogu. Because like I said, I I even expected in that final adorable, cozy little shot with the circle that we would see Din take off his helmet in the back. (laughs) And that would have been nice. Yeah. Anyway. I'm so with you. I really wish that the helmet was removed. But my take is I do think that, and I'm just what I'm telling myself to feel a little bit better about not seeing Pedro's face, um, is we wrapped up a lot of things. This is an end point. But we still need to have that conflict of, okay, so now what happens when Mandalore is like new Mandalore? Yeah. And what does it mean to have all of these factions that have since been warring under one, one roof, one leader, one group? Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe we had to get to that this point of Mandalore being restored before we can go deep into that. And I think also in terms of like preserving big moments, it might be something that Favreau and Dave really want to save for the film too. Um, I was thinking about that a little bit. But in a lot of ways, if we think about this episode, it's called The Return. It makes me think of Return of the Jedi. It wraps up a lot of things. At the end of Return of the Jedi, you know, the Death Star, the second Death Star blows up and we're like, the Empire's dead. But we know from the other material that that's not necessarily true, that they had to deal with a lot of different stuff, right? To the point where now that's what we're dealing with in The Mandalorian about how like messy and bogged down by a lot of things the New Republic is. So I think I can see a future in which that messiness of the New Republic is paralleled with potentially the messiness of New Mandalore mm. and Din having to experience both of those. I think that, I mean, we're both experiencing what happens to a society, whether it's the Republic or um, or the, the galaxy or on a smaller scale Mandalore, post-empire, post-dictatorship, post-evil. And I think that a lot of messiness comes with that. And I think with that, eventually, we'll get the removal of the helmets. We have to, right? Like, (laughs) that's what we have to be leading to. And I think it's just such a big piece that maybe it just, I'm glad, maybe I should be glad that it wasn't done in this episode as much as I would like it. But it would be great if that was something that was fully tackled in the next season, you know? Yeah, I I'm with you. I will tell myself that as well until it comes to pass. <laughs> uh, you know, because Rick, we love to talk about it. Episode ten, season two, or seven, six, whatever it was, the Believer. The title was the Believer. The questions that were raised in that episode come from Rick, and because he wrote that episode too, didn't he? Or just just co-wrote it? Co-wrote it. Yeah. So. You know, so him coming on as, you know, another executive producer, it just, I really set my expectations (laughs) to have this topic discussed. And I do think you're right that it'll come later down the line, but I am bummed to have a whole season with no Pedro Pascal uh, face (laughs) in it. So that, you know, I, I think we are all wanting that in the future. 
the other piece of this whole little happy adoption scene uh, is the shock heard around the fandom that Din is not his name. It's oh, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think we can say this for sure. It's just I, like, it's, you're now Din Grogu. And it's like, we were all like, right. what? <laughs> yeah. So many cultures, <laughs> the, like the last name first, as we know it in like America. Mm-hmm. Have I been? Is his name actually Jaren and not, not Din? Like, what's wrong? Or what's going on here? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. I I don't know. I think this is another clunky part of this episode because is it McClunky? Is it? Yeah, it's McClunky. It's full blown <laughs> McClunky. Honestly, it is pretty McClunky. It's like, pretty it's so McClunky. Random, just like McClunky. Yeah, <laughs> and I I think it's really funny. I think it's funny. When it was said, I was like, "This is gonna be a funny thing." <laughs> <laughs> you come off of such a loving scene the mythosaur and then it's din grogu and i it kind of shocked me out of my stupid grin on my face <laughs> i was like what <laughs> what <laughs> star wars is gonna star wars you know what i mean like yeah. it's just very much like okay that's something else that they gotta explain i guess like another <laughs> part of their culture <laughs> That <laughs> just Din because Paz Vizla, House of Vizla, his name is Paz. <laughs> you know, I don't, true. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it was just funny. It was funny, and yeah, everyone was talking about it online afterwards. It's also like it's so weird because it's not like Satine, Satine, and Bo-Katan's last name. Are Crees. Mm-hmm. So like wh- what is what is this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've seen people talk about how, oh, well, maybe, maybe the children of the watch do that. But then, you know, Paz Vizla doesn't, and we don't know anyone else in the children of the watch. Yeah, the math isn't mathing. And I think we just gotta leave it and say, IDK, John, maybe all right. <laughs> I think I think he's gonna backtrack it. Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> the armor, he'll do another baptism and the armor will be like, I misspoke your name is Grogu <laughs> Jaren but it whatever works is fine it just felt so random you know yeah yeah exactly uh yeah <laughs> and I guess kind of the last little piece here is I think we've already touched on this a little bit but you know Din is now an independent contractor I love that all of the directors are still there as is Carson Tiva I don't know. How much are they working? Not, it doesn't seem They're like chilling. a lot. They're, They're chilling. chilling. They're straight up chilling. And I love it. I was hoping to see Zeb again if we were all going to be back in this bar. But I guess Zeb is the only one actually putting in an honest day's work. <laughs> Which makes sense. He's, yeah. It just makes sense. I mean, yeah, it totally <laughs> does. But yeah, so independent contractor. Again, the promise of adventures to come and we get the fabulous little ending shot. My headcanon is that Din built this pond himself for Grogu and planted that tree in their little yard because he knew Grogu, Grogu would like it. And that's that's my headcanon. So adorable. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about how Din saw Grogu from afar in that one Book of Boba Fett episode when he yeah. really wanted to give Grogu the little gift that looks like him. And he goes, he's just right there. And like, he doesn't get to see him. And it's like so heartbreaking. And I think about that. And if if you're right about your headcanon about the pond and the little tree, uh, maybe he thinks about how happy Grogu looked when he was like 
by the pond and the tree with Luke. That, I don't know. It's so cute. That scene broke me at a, a molecular <laughs> so level. Good. <laughs> it was so good. I, I Those episodes are also really special. I don't know. I, and I, I feel like that line was so well delivered from Pedro. Mm-hmm. And it was perfect. Yeah, it was. It was. And I, I like I would like to add that on to our my headcanon about the pond that he built of he specifically remembered that moment when they were separated and now they never have to be separated again. That's why it's so funny. That's why. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. What did you think of the series overall, the season, season three of The Mandalorian? I enjoyed season three of The Mandalorian a lot. I definitely think it was probably the most uneven of the three seasons that we've had thus far. So I I do think it was a little clunky at times. I enjoyed every episode. Uh, I enjoyed the weird uh, detours we kind of took in this season. I enjoyed the focus on Mandalore. And of course, bringing in Bo-Katan was a fabulous addition. But I do think it definitely felt... Uh, like a departure from the first two seasons, which is fine, but it was different. Uh, So it did feel uneven compared to previous seasons, but we got to this ending. And as someone who did not like the ending of other Star Wars things, to have this ending honestly means everything to me. And I can overlook a lot of critiques I have just for this final shot, I'll be honest. And maybe that makes me a bad person. No, uh, it's your opinion. You can say whatever you want on your own podcast about your perception of Star Wars media. It's not like exactly, rocket scientists. Exactly. You know? But getting to that end point, it, it supersedes a lot of things for me. Uh, but like I said, overall, I had such a fun time with this season that despite – you know, perhaps some of the fits and starts or perhaps some of the unevenness to it. Uh, it was it was a good ride. It was a good ride. I feel like I'm in a weird minority in which I just really enjoyed like every second of this season. Every episode was a joy to me. And maybe I'm just in this point in my life right now where I'm like just vibing with these characters that I love, you yeah. know. I'm going to miss these eight episodes so much and I can't wait to binge them all in like two days back to back because <laughs> I really I've said this a thousand times already in the during the season but I really enjoyed my Mandalorian rewatch before uh this season started in which I binged everything and so I'm really excited to go back and binge the season as a whole instead of week to week because I find sometimes you see the themes and the start and the ending mm-hmm. a lot clearer and I it's not that I don't know. I think I liked this more than season two. I think season one is still my favorite Mandalorian season, but I liked the, I think I liked this season more than season two. Yeah, I think season two had some really high highs for me. I don't know which season yeah. I've liked best, honestly. I really I was I'm a huge fan of the season two finale. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I that was such a thrilling episode. Mm-hmm that I'll never forget watching. And I feel like that one was more thrilling to watch than this one, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But I still really appreciate the return for what it is. Yeah. But I think for me, the experience of watching season two with the cameos and everything, it was just like a lot. Yeah. And I much enjoyed it much more when I rewatched it. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is that I just had more fun with Mm -hmm. season three. 
and that's kind of all I can ask for, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I think season three had a lot of it had a lot of fun and a lot of fun details. Even thinking about, I think it's episode four, the Dr. Pershing episode with Aliyah Kane. And obviously that's a very serious episode, but being on Coruscant was really fun. And all of the funky little details about Coruscant in this era, you know, the yellow biscuits, about how those are the better biscuits, the the carnival, um, the Epcotness yep. of mm-hmm. Lizzo and Jack Black. You know, there are just some really fun kind of wacky things throughout season three that I had such a good time with. And yeah, the season two was definitely the more intense finale, but it was a separation. And here I've got, you know, a freaking mortgage and a pond and landscaping. And I'm so much happier with that. (laughs) Yeah. I just think this season was so, I really enjoyed it. Um, like so much and I can't wait to see these characters again. Yeah, it might be sooner than we think, but yeah, you never know. You just truly never know. <laughs> with with the Mandoverse, yeah, we actually don't know. So stay sometimes tuned. I think about how John really wanted to do a Mandalorian holiday special. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's been very open about saying that, and he has an idea. And I think he even has. I think he said he has a script written. So what if what if that was the next time we? See what him? if we see the house? With the pond and the tree oh my God, and shut Christmas up. lights. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Life day lights. Okay. That would be the best thing of my entire life. <laughs> so happy. <laughs> yeah, this is like a live reaction. I'm freaking out about that. <laughs> and I, grief brings all the decorations. Shut up. And Tim like, is I, like, I, what is all of this? It's, and we just see Grogu like wrapped in Christmas lights. <laughs> he's so cute. Stringing popcorn. <laughs> It's so cute and, and like life day and there's a song. There's going to be a song. IG-11 is there and Grogu puts a star on top of IG-11's head. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I hope that they do that because I think we we could use more life day lore mm-hmm. and I think that would be perfect. Yeah, you know, I love and, that and I'm just going to say it would tie in really well now that they actually capitalize on life day with merch. So That's might as I mean. well, at, you know. At, at Galaxy's Edge and everything, mm-hmm. like I think we need more than just the holiday special that George Lucas actually hates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's make a new one. Maybe George Lucas will actually like it. Yeah. If capitalism is going to capitalism, at least give me Grogu, Grief, Din, and IG-11 in their little house, you know, drinking some some spiced holiday spotchka. So. <laughs> so cute. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've kind of come to the end of the line with season three. Is there anything else you want to say about it? Nope. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our coverage of season three of The Mandalorian. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you so much for going on this ride with us. We appreciate it. Uh, if you've tuned in uh, for every episode, some of them, this is your first one, whatever it may be. Thank you for coming to Sky Talkers to hear our reactions and discussions about this season of The Mandalorian. We really appreciate it. And we will be back whenever Din and Grogu are, and we'll be back covering whatever's coming next down the line for Star Wars, which will be Visions, I believe. So we're super excited for Visions. So that will be coming out very, very soon. So be sure to check back uh, here. <laughs> and until then, you can find us online on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com. 
our Instagram, TikTok, uh, all good places to find us. Uh, I should mention actually here that Charlotte and I just posted our merch hauls from Star Wars Celebration on our TikTok and Instagram. So if you were following along with our celebration coverage and knew we were looking for Jabba merch, the Jabba merch has been posted. So <laughs> you can go and see it firsthand if you're interested in that. And if you have a moment and would take a couple seconds to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that really helps other people find our show. And if you want to screenshot that you're listening to the show in real time and post it on your social media platform of choice and tag us, we would really love to retweet, repost, uh, whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, again, that helps other people find our show. And we really love seeing you guys listening in real time. It's been such a treat. So thank you to everyone who has, and please feel free to do the same. <laughs> and lastly, if you are interested in even more ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. And right after this, Caitlin and I are going to be talking about Star Wars Celebration and our recap and casual discussion of that will be posted on Patreon very soon. It might be up already. I don't know. <laughs> I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. James, Eugene, David, Triumphant Ewok, Maximilian, Jake, Pamela, GMO, Gary, Joe, Cassie, Molly, Jose, Nina, Alexa, Jedediah, Brad, Natalie, Anna, Madison, Trevor, Allie, and Sophia. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.